1: I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate and teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. So the president socked the Chinese with tariffs. on $50 billion worth of merchandise. And investors, what did they do? Of course, they panicked. No, no,
2: no, 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 no,
1: no. But eventually they calmed down. The Dow ultimately be losing 85 points, S&P dipping 0.11 percent, the Nasdaq declining 0.19 percent. These were big recoveries from much lower levels. Many bulls were heartened that the stock market clawed its way back up and at one time was almost even despite the tariffs. I question that logic. The truth is the president and his team telegraphed this move, so it shouldn't have come as a surprise, and the market should never have been hit all that hard in the first place. However, if China decides to respond aggressively, and I have to tell you those proposed auto oil and agricultural tariffs is very eating, sure sound aggressive, then we'll probably get hit again. So don't get too cozy about the rebound. It's going to go back and forth and back and forth. Now, with that in mind, let's go to our game plan for next week, because this could be a tumultuous series of days. Monday, we just want to get a sense of the fallout from this tit-for-tat situation with China, particularly with the new uh, tariffs that just came out tonight. Many investors believe that the president will be rational in trade, meaning we'll get some accommodation that makes things go uh, go more smoothly, and the tariffs will be put uh, off eventually. Uh, But that's not President Trump's idea of rational. Just listen to what he actually says about trade. He he doesn't outright blame the Chinese. He never does that for taking advantage of our laissez-faire policies to flood our market with cheap goods, creating a huge trade imbalance. No. What he does is he blames our previous leaders for being oblivious to what he sees as a one-side trade war where China's been running circles around us because we wouldn't fight back. Whether or not that's a useful way to view international trade, that doesn't really matter. That's another thing I want you to put out of your heads, okay? Like some sort of judgment. (coughs) Like he doesn't know what he's doing. He's the president of the United States, people. It's how the president sees the situation that matters to Wall Street. And there's a lot of confusion here. I get the sense that many investors truly believe these tariffs can be averted. That the president wants to avert them because they, they hurt the stock market. But that's just not true. Trump believes that we need to stand up to China, even if it ends up hurting business here in the United States and sending the stock market down. He figures the economy is strong enough to handle the pain. But basically, basically, here's what he's thinking. If not now, when? Now, last time we heard that China might have approved Qualcomm's purchase of NXP semiconductor. If we come in on Monday and we hear that that deal is done, well, that'll be viewed as a signal that China doesn't want any additional escalation. But the weakness in the stock late in the day tells me that's not going to happen. The thing is, while that signal may send a positive message to Wall Street, I don't think the intended audience, President Trump, will actually even care. So please recognize that the president is not trying to get the Dow to hit all-time highs here. That was 2017's game. His new goal is to push back against our trading partners, especially China, and the market's not going to like it anytime he does. You need to accept this as a fact of life. Get used to it. Select stocks accordingly. Maintaining a higher-than-normal cash position, When we go higher, you do some trimming next up. After closing Tuesday, we get two very important earnings reports. We get FedEx and we get Oracle. I expect a gangbuster report from FedEx thanks to e-commerce, which continues to accelerate. I suspect the estimates here are too low. Oracle is tougher. This is one of the few tech stocks that's actually uh, much closer to its low than its high. I worry that Oracle will have trouble retaining customers as we keep hearing of client losses from the companies who compete with them. At the same time, the stock is dirt cheap, though. It's entirely possible that if Oracle shows any momentum whatsoever— the stock goes higher. If they don't, then it might not go down that much. You know what? I'm calling that a decent risk reward. Wednesday morning, we get a gut check from Winnebago. Last time, we heard Bob Martin of Thor Industries uh, talk about the industry, and he made it sound like the world's largest RV manufacturer still has a little inventory to work off. If Winnebago confirms that, be careful. Both stocks head lower. After the close, we get results from Moo. That's right, Micron, the maker of DRAMs and flash memory chips. Not long ago, Micron CEO Sanjay Marota came right here on this show, and I thought he told a fabulous multi-year tale of proprietary growth, very different from the boom and bust of the old DRAM business cycle. That's because Micron's chips are used far more extensively thanks to the rise of the Internet of Things. The data center is loaded with DRAMs, people. Flash, though, is in momentary oversupply. And many analysts remain convinced that Micron's too bullish on its own prospects. But for the bears to be right, someone somewhere would need to be building secret DRAM factories to flood the market with new supply. I don't think you see that happening at all. In fact, I'd say Micron's more in control of its destiny than ever. And I have followed Micron since inception. Thursday brings a mixture of consumer names and tech. First, we hear from Darden, parent company of Olive Garden. We bought Darden from my chapel trust in the low 80s, and lately we've been pairing a thing back. It was up big today. Uh, Stock's been zooming into the 90s, and we aren't exactly sure how strong the quarter will be. Darden tells a good story of long-term growth, especially since the Cheddar Scratch Kitchen acquisition last year. But the last quarter wasn't all that good. Still, we're holding on to a a part of our position for the trust because management's terrific and we like domestic plays in a time of trade turmoil, and you should too. Do you know that one year ago tomorrow, Amazon bought Whole Foods? That sent Kroger tumbling. Yeah, the country's largest uh, grocer. And while it was able to rebound back to where it was trading before the deal seven months later, its stock has given up that gain, and it's back in purgatory. But Kroger's engaged in a slew of initiatives to become more competitive, while Amazon has yet to really build out Whole Foods like many of us expected. I think they're being patient, cutting prices almost as an experiment. In the meantime, though, the supermarket industry just keeps getting more competitive. Let's just say I don't expect a great quarter from Kroger. After the close, we hear from one of our favorite cloud kings, and that's Red Hat. This company allows you to onboard the cloud seamlessly, and it's reported great quarter after great quarter after great quarter. I think Red Hat will do it again, but the stock has a tendency to get hammered, even on excellent results, and then it starts going up. So if it happens again, i pounce on this thing into weakness. Friday, we have an OPEC meeting that includes non-members. In plain English, that means Saudi Arabia's meeting with Russia to figure out how high they should let oil prices go. If they let it run too much, our domestic producers will start drilling like mad. They make it, uh, if, but if they make it too low, and well, uh, both countries make a lot less money. Plus, it hurts the profitability of Sony Ramco, which is expected to come public later. Uh, but yeah, probably let's say at the beginning of the first quarter, the wild card. This is the first OPEC meeting where President Trump is mad about oil prices. Will he make a call to the Saudis on Thursday, reminding them that there are friends? That's the only thing that he drive oil to the low 60s, down for $64.50. It's where it's traded now. Remember, it was in the 70s before Russia and Saudi Arabia talked about boosting production. So here's the bottom line: next week we've got some major international jitters that will bookend, what should be a very positive earnings backdrop. And we got those nasty tariffs from China. China tonight. Remember, though, with the rate hikes and the tariffs, the game got a little harder this week, which means we need to be a bit less eager to pounce when stocks go down and a bit more ready to curb our enthusiasm when stocks go higher. Let's go to Greg in Washington. Greg. A Pacific Northwest booyah to you, Jim. Well, that is that's a darn good booyah. What's up? All right. Listen to the show every day on my commute, and it sets me up for my trading day every day. Your service is invaluable. Thank you. Thank you, man. So. Thank you. All right, I'm calling about Enphase Energy, symbol E-N-P-H. They make microinverters for solar panels. Yes! Uh, The stock is way down from its 2014-2015 highs, but it's been a bit of a comeback this year. Stock shot up over 30% earlier this week after the company acquired SunPower's microinverter business. Uh, They applied for an exemption from Trump's tariffs. And my question is about the effect of tariffs on solar stocks and what it would mean for You know what? We saw first solar go down very badly right at the bell. First solar went down. So uh, and, you know, it was one of those things where. It had been dropping all day. Really got hammered. You know, kind of bounced back a little bit. But my take is, is that we got to be very careful in this industry because first sellers, first sellers, the bellwether. And I am not going to make a determination on a little company like yours until I've done more work on it. Let's go to Steve in New York. Steve. Hey, hey Jim. Hope you're well. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, of course. Thank you for calling. Good. Good. So around
2: October or November last year, I asked you for your thoughts on one of my favorite stocks, Carvana. Uh, since then, I've seen it go on a massive run, up well over 150%. Now, uh, this is partly due to their opening of another car vending machine in Washington, which could be the beginning of their expansion into the Northeast. However, I'm thinking of trimming most of my position, considering the run it's had as of late. What are your thoughts?
1: I think you should take your—look, uh, you've got to take the house's money. It's up 123%. The industry itself has just been okay. You've got a great gain. Let's do a little ka-ching, ka-ching, and then we can let the rest run, okay? Let's go to Allen in Ohio.
0: Uh, Jim, I recently heard the CEO of Verizon say that 5G will eliminate the need for 200-foot-high cell phone towers. What do you think – will mean about the future for American Tower.
1: Well, what I worry about is frankly, uh, let's just cut, cut to the chase. I worry about this T-Mobile Sprint acquisition. What happens if, this, if, the, uh, if the Department of Justice Antitrust Division decides, you know what, we can't be as aggressive as we'd like after that brutal smackdown that they got on the ATT Time Warner. So I'm more worried about consolidation of telco, and that's what makes me a little nervous about AMT. How about Phil in North Carolina? Phil! Hey, Jim, a big booyah
2: from Raleigh in North Carolina. Boy, is your area
1: booming. you so lucky. Durham, just booming. We got to get down there. What's up?
2: I'm Long Starbucks. The stock seems stuck in the 56-57 range, and I'm not sure how to judge a ton of factors. The Nestle deal, a buyback, Schultz departure, crisis management, competition from McDonald's, and a heavy short interest. Uh, I agree with
1: every one of those things, except for the heavy short interest. There is not a heavy enough short interest. As a matter of fact, there's still a lot of people who believe it and believe it and believe it because China's so good. I think that litany of worries that you just uh, named, they make it too much for this guy. I mean, Travel Trust sold the stock. It was just too hard to own. All right, people, tame your enthusiasm into any rally because we've got we had the rate hike. We don't at this point, you know, a lot of radar going to start bothering us. And we had the tariffs, including those this uh, this very evening. The game's gotten a little harder, but we're going to get through it together. Don't worry. You will make money tonight. I'm sitting down with a Wisconsin based company that is feeling the reverberations from China's tough tariff talk. Don't miss my exclusive with Manitowoc. Then forget your magazine subscription. I'm telling you how some of the top performing stocks this year are using the same model to thrive in this market. And a stock that's up more than 20% year to date that we have just been pushing and pushing and pushing. Can it continue to deliver healthy returns? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Sentee at Investor Day, CNC. So stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: On a day like today, we really can't ignore the fact that this trade war already has some real casualties. Take Manitowoc, MTW. It's a company that makes all kinds of cranes. After roaring higher in 2016, 2017, this stock ran headfirst into a brick wall. It's now down about 35% year-to-date. Why? Well, first, the president's steel and aluminum tariffs, 25 and 10% respectively. Hey, guess what cranes are made out of? Meanwhile, investors get nervous when they hear the Chinese and the Europeans and even the Canadians want to retaliate as Manitowoc gets 56% of its sales from outside of the Americas. Uh, Never mind that we've got an incredibly robust economy, and this is exactly the kind of cyclical stock that typically does well during expansion. Never mind that Manitowoc's latest quarter was darn good. Guidance was excellent. The stock has fallen out of favor with the Walls Fashion show, so it hasn't been able to gain much traction. But has Manitowoc been punished too much? Do the positives outweigh the potential negatives? Let's take a closer look with Barry Pennypacker. He's the president and CEO of Manitowoc Company. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Pennypacker, welcome to Man Money. Good to see you. Thank you. Have a seat, Barry. Thank you. Pleasure. Right, Barry, you, you just had cranes Day. It is really clear, it, uh, I mean, with the exception of rental, I could not find a single thing that is not on fire. And so explain to people a little bit of disconnect, some of the fear that people have versus the reality.
2: Well, people are fear of all of these tariff things. Yeah. That we're not really too worried about that because if, if you were a, you know, a good um, leader of a company and you realized that President Trump wasn't gonna uh, in pla- put the tariffs in place when he was uh, being elected, then you were living in a bubble. What? So I we mean- put contingencies in place right then and there. <laughs> So we know exactly what was going to happen. We looked at this, the uh, particular areas that we thought we were going to be affected by, and we've changed around uh, the different sourcing methods, and, you know, we're not worried about it.
1: People don't understand that your technology company makes cranes. Exactly. It's really a different world out there from what we just, the old days, right? Oh, absolutely. These things can do, so you do self-erecting
2: cranes. Absolutely. Uh, our, our business in uh, Europe is primarily driven by our new technology for self-erecting cranes, where you bring a crane to a job site, you press a button, and you just watch it erect itself.
1: And you've got the uh, really almost a lock on the windmill, the, uh, oh. uh, the, the natural business, right? I mean, not just renewables seem to be where you guys are making a lot of money.
2: Jim, you'd, uh, you'd be surprised about how many cranes are working in the renewable fuels business here in the U.S. right now, particularly in wind. I mean, wind is on fire, and people just have a tendency to look past it. Our larger cranes are out there working at higher utilizations than we've seen in, a lot in the past for a very long time.
1: Okay, so uh, also oil and gas, which we know is now booming again in oh, this country. You, yeah. you can't get enough cranes. Do you have enough cranes? Well, we have
2: enough is. cranes now. I mean, there's been a glut of supply back in 2008 and 2009. A lot of cranes that were utilized in that particular segment were put into the field. and you know, And then, of course, we had the downfall. So that that right. supply is now being, uh, you know, being sucked up and utilized again, and we're starting to see some increased activity, particularly in the in the Southwest and Louisiana area. You know, so um, I'm I'm very encouraged about the outlook for. Uh Oil and gas in the next 25. Okay, three okay
1: so I know that. I mean, you've got some guys, some guys who just this J.P. Morgan guy. I don't know. He hates cranes. So he, he hates cranes. But he was talking about the um, this rental market. Now, is how important is that? I know because you know we like U.R.I. Yeah. on the show because Mike's done a great job. Absolutely. But but I think that to penalize the whole company because of that and maybe some steel seems wrong to me.
2: U.R.I. doesn't own a single crane that we manufacture. Our cranes are way much bigger than what any normal. Uh, URI, National Rental Company, would use. Now, some of the larger firms like All and Maxim, uh, those guys utilize our cranes and they're a different type of model and their utilizations are high. They're starting to get a little rate because their utilizations are are very high, particularly in some segments. And so, you know, these guys think that, you know, you read these reports that we've already reached our max. We're we're, we're nowhere close to our max. Based on what we've done last week and seen with our, our customers and our crane days last week and our new five models that we've just introduced, we're increasing our backlog already for 2019. In some areas, we're sold out through
1: 2019. Uh, Debt picture getting better?
2: Yes, very much
1: better. Tell how you're bringing it down.
2: Well, we've we've just paid it down. I mean, we've we've used the Manitowoc way and our lean uh, technology to work on working capital in particular. Uh, We've worked that down by almost 50% over the last three years, and we've put that back into the business and reduced our debt.
1: Well, I I wanted to talk about the Manitowoc way and and not do superficial because it's obviously not superficial. It's the way you run the company. You put it in. Explain it to people because I think it's more than just ethereal, and it's more than just happy talk.
2: Most people have a business system, and a business system is a bunch of tools, and it's a bunch of things that are on on a shelf, and you can go and grab it and use it. Ours is a culture. I mean, our culture is that we are 100% focused on our customer and every single one of our 4,900 employees, I ask them to think about every single day. I want you to make this company a little bit better today than it was yesterday for our customers. And if you make it better for you, for our customers, it's going to be better for you, it's going to be better for our shareholders, and it's going to be better for all the single parties that are involved in the company.
1: How does the Manitowoc Way work in that interesting Chinese facility you have? Yeah,
2: we have a very uh, good uh, leader in that facility. Just recently, we, uh, we did a, um, an, an activity there where we were able to free up 45,000 square feet of manufacturing space, which is 10%. And that, that, is, uh, 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 that gives us the opportunity for organic growth, gives us the opportunity to invest in that facility, gives us the opportunity to reduce our costs, gives us the opportunity to not worry so much about tariffs.
1: All right, so let me ask you, though, I'm plain and simple, does the rhetoric get to you, I mean, periodically, is that,
2: or you just say, listen, they need our cranes, Hey, the rhetoric is out there. I mean, you just got to listen to it. But right. you know, at the end of the day, cranes are. You drive up here from Philly, like guys did today. You see cranes in the air all over the place. And fortunately for us, I saw a substantial amount of ours. And it's going to continue. Well, look, the I, revolution I, is real, Jim.
1: And I think it's important to point out that your stock zoomed going into this year. So it did. Uh, the psychology of it is far different from the orders and the earnings. Of it. I agree with you 100%. Excellent. OK, that's Barry Pennypacker, the president and CEO of Manitowoc. Hey, listen, it's the world's greatest crane company. have Bunny's back here for Do not let today's trade war-related ugliness blind you to the fact that plenty of stocks don't need a strong global economy to go higher. That's why whenever the market starts to get rocky, I like to fall back on powerful long-term themes that are immune to the Fed or to the Chinese tariff retaliation. The best secular trend out there right now, you know what I think it's going to be? I think it's the rise of the subscription economy the legion of companies that make their money by selling some kind of subscription service, often in industries where we never even realized subscriptions could make any sense. Remember last night we spoke to Teen Zhu? He's the CEO of Zora, Z-U-O-R-A, a software company that's all about helping other businesses create, maintain, and improve their subscription services. This guy literally wrote the book on the subscription economy. It's called Subscribed! of why the subscription model will be your company's future and what to do about it. I thought this was a how-to book about how to find the best stocks in this environment. I already liked this model going into the interview, but coming out of it, I had a whole new perspective. Just listen, listen to what Sue said just last night.
2: Every day that passes, we have to buy less and less stuff, and we talked about that two years ago, but it's exploding. Right. We used to have Netflix. We used to have Spotify, but now we're paying for exercise bikes as a subscription. Mm-hmm. We're paying for travel as a subscription. Even companies are paying for things like tractor as a subscription. This is what we call the subscription-based
1: economy. That guy smart. I mean, That's right. The model is so attractive that it's drawing in all sorts of industries that you wouldn't normally think of as lending themselves to subscription services. The idea here is basically the end of ownership. Again, here's how Sue laid it out. There's no reason you should have to buy anything. If you're not buying DVDs, if you're not buying CDs, if you're not buying software, why should you have to buy houses? Why should you have to buy cars? You just want to simply take out your
2: phone, point to a service to get the needs that you want, and, and just tap into a subscription service, and this is what we're starting to see today. All
1: right, now admittedly, this has the potential to get kind of creepy and dystopian. And when you're renting all of your earthly possessions to some kind of subscription, what happens when you violate the terms of service? Do they repossess your car, your house, your pants, your lunch? But let's not linger on that too long, because this is mad money, not mad implications of late-stage capitalism. The point here is that, like it or not, the subscription economy is the future, and the companies that understand that are making a fortune. So who does get it? Well... How about Salesforce, right? Salesforce.com, which practically invented the subscription economy when it started offering customer relations management software as a service. Not a product, but a service. Fitting that they were first, this guy, Chin Zhu that we heard from? He turned out to be employee number eleven at Salesforce. I knew he had the lingo down. As you heard earlier, Netflix and Spotify are at the vanguard of the consumer subscription economy. Their subscription services as a gateway drug. By paying a low monthly fee, you get access to a whole world of entertainment. Even before uh, streaming video existed, Netflix was doing this with DVD rentals by mail. Netflix now has 125 million paid subscribers worldwide. They're producing tons of great shows, and they're taking market share all over the globe. Once the company gets large enough, it's Its recurring revenue will more than offset its spending on content, at which point Netflix will be printing money. That's why the stock has more than doubled year-to-date. That's why it's the envy of all the older media companies. What Netflix is the video, Spotify is the music. They have more than 71 million premium subscribers, up 46% last year. Spotify is clever. You can get their service for free but with advertisements. Or you can pay up for no ads. Turns out people will pay up. I recommended this stock in uh, April, $144, bucks, two days after its direct listing system, 21% gain. How about the less obvious ones? Well, first, there's Apple. Not really emphasized by Teen Zoo, but I'm going to emphasize it right now. Apple still makes most of its money selling various devices. Years ago, they started adopting a kind of razor, razor blade a business model, where the phones are the razors and the various subscription services that you pay for automatically are the blades. This is why I've been so sanguine about Apple, even when the bears were ready to give up on the uh, on it. The service revenue stream is going to be huge. In fact, it really is already huge, and the stock market is finally getting its head around what Apple knew. Ages ago, this is the future of business. People are thrilled to pay Apple for the privilege of extra storage or backing up their photos or Apple Music. This service stream is now a $30 billion business point that's at a 31% clip the latest quarter. If Apple subscription biz were its own company, it would already be large enough to be about a Fortune 80 company. And let me tell you something: when my wife put the phone in the washing machine two weeks ago, the only thing that was good about that day was that I backed up my photos. We're still married. Who else gets it? Two words. Amazon Prime. Just in case you've been living under a rock, Prime offers you an incredible value proposition. Free shipping, free streaming video, free music, even free books, all kinds of deals, including at Whole Foods. But what Amazon Prime does for the company is even more significant. Forget that Amazon has 100 million customers uh, paying them 119 per year. Remember, they just raised the price by 20% and nobody batted an eyelash, which comes to uh, $12 in revenue. The key here is that Prime creates legions of loyal customers who have a huge incentive to shop at Amazon first and only go to another retail or if they can't find out what they need, don't forget, most shopping now begins on the web. Hey, by the way, that's why uh, Whole Foods insulin became more valuable when it was folded into Amazon one year ago. And it's one more reason, along with the web services uh, business, that dominates the cloud. Why I still think Amazon is worth buying right here it is the largest position in my charitable trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. By the way, the same thing goes for Costco. The basic model is that you pay Costco 60 bucks a year and you get access to incredible bargains and all sorts of merchandise. They can get away with those insanely low prices by selling a limited number of products and generally selling them in bulk. Costco now has over 90 million uh, members what? And we know people love it because the renewal rate in the U.S. stands at 90%. You know, someone uh, had a critical uh, earnings note about it today and was we'll stock right up but anyway. Just like with Amazon Prime, it's not only about the money. It's about reinforcing customer loyalty. So members shop at Costco first, like the Kramer family. And hey, it's working. Stock is left, it's piercing the dust. It's up 11% year to date. It's rallied in today. Uh, it really kind of solidified exactly how strong this thing is. All right, who else? Adobe. Now, Adobe adopted a cloud-based software as a service model in 2013, and the stock immediately tanked, talked about in in Teens' book. Now it's up roughly 500%. Don't believe the non-hype. Adobe's quarter, we spoke to Shantanu last night, Adobe's quarter last night was darn good, and the stock should resume its regularly scheduled advance soon enough. Autodesk, the company, aided, uh, the computer-aided design firm, did the same in late 2015, and its shares have nearly tripled. I don't think that one's done yet either. And then Dropbox, another terrific online subscription service, has been on fire, up another 9.6% today. Finally, there's the not-so-failing New York Times. It may sound crazy to talk about how a newspaper company is shaking things up by selling subscriptions. But remember, for a long time, they tried to give away their content online and make money selling ads. Needless to say, that did not work. So they put up the paywall, and it's been a stunning success. Last year, their digital subscriptions grew by 42%, climbing to more than 2.6 million. It's already more than double the number of print subscribers. The stock's up about 30% since I got behind it last summer. I bet it has more room to run. They are failing upwards. The bottom line the subscription economy keeps taking over industry after industry after industry after industry because it's so darn lucrative and consumers love it. These subscription stocks are growth stories that will keep working regardless of tariffs or rate hikes, which is why I like each and every one of them. Steven in Connecticut. Steven! Big booyah from Connecticut. How are you, sir? I am good. How about you, partner? Good, thanks. Listen, I invested
2: in the stock IQ, a.k.a. the Netflix of China, when it first came out, and it's done wonders for me so far. Given the fact that they have new partnerships, multiple revenue streams, and that they're a part of a large, growing entertainment market in China, are you willing to give this baby a buy yet or what? All right, now,
1: you understand. This thing is trading... Uh, Insanely, okay, it's insane. It trades every day. We you it trades like waters, we would say in the business. We talk about it every morning the, uh, for my action alerts team. And I, you know, frankly, I'm not going to get behind it. I am behind Alibaba and Baidu. This one I don't get. I like Balzan too, by the way. But this one is going to have to go without me. I can't get behind every stock from China. It's just I just can't do it. Can I go to Derek? My old home state of Pennsylvania, Derek. Hey Jim, big booyah to you! Thanks for everything you do taking Wall Street to Main Street. Thank you. My question for you is Blue Apron (APRN). If you look at it, if you look for the past month, it looks like it's got kind of two head and shoulders patterns. I'm looking what your thesis is on it. Well, my thesis is, is that Mr. Wonderful said to buy it when he did the stock tournament, and if Mr. Wonderful said buy it, I say uh, don't sell it. How about that? All right, call the subscription economy a subscription for profits. These stocks are gross stories. I like them all. Much more mad money. had. teams had a monster move in this market. Is it too late to buy or can the company continue to go higher? I've got the CEO. And the Fed just announced another rate hike. But the banks have hardly budged. What the heck is that about? I'm going to break it down. And all your calls, rapid fire. Tonight's session, lightning round. And, of course, a look back at the week that was. So stick with Kramer.
0: Monday kickoff the trading day was squawk on the street live from post 9 at the NYSE
1: but I would say this one thing is if you didn't think this was coming it's crazy it's coming
0: it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern
1: Sometimes the biggest gains come from the least exciting places. Take Centene, CNC, the healthcare uh, plan provider that gets most of its business from government-sponsored programs like Medicare and Medicaid, not to mention the Obamacare exchanges. Not exactly anyone's idea of a stock with sex appeal, but this is a growth industry, people, especially as more and more baby boomers become eligible for for Medicare. I have been a big fan of Centene, and this stock's been an incredible performer. It's up nearly 80% last year before tax. Doing another 22.5% year to date. And you know what? I might, yeah, I gotta, it's got more room to run. Just yesterday, the New York Attorney General uh, cleared Centene's plan to acquire Fidelis, that's the nation's largest Medicaid managed care provider, for $3.75 billion. That was the last major hurdle, so the transaction could, should close in a couple weeks. Given how well Centene has performed since its last major deal, the purchase of HealthNet in 2016, I think this could be very, very positive, but do not take it from me. Today was Centene's annual analyst day, and it's sure looks like they told a good story. So let's dig deep with Michael Neidorf, who's the chairman and CEO of Centene and a visionary about this industry to learn more about how the company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Neidorf, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Always good to see you, Jeff. Well, you had a huge analyst day today, okay. and obviously people have to be happy because you priced a very big secondary because you don't like a bad balance sheet. People are yeah. up big for when they were on and that was right after you came on the show.
0: Thank you. You did. It always helps.
1: It was, uh, yeah, it always helps to have everyone in the room to have a profit. Sure. But after this big run, how could you tell them that the stock is, is uh, cheap and the one to buy?
0: Well, a, a multiple is still at a discount compared to our peer group and some others. And when they saw that today, we showed them that already we have in the bank 15% growth for next year.
1: We, well, we, Who has that in the bank in the month of June?
0: Well, we we know the contracts we've sold, the deals we've done. You take that going into 19, it says we're going to be a 69-plus billion dollar company next year, up from 60 this year. So, you know, I'm old-fashioned. I kind of think where you are should have something to do with your growth rate.
1: Well, you, you yeah. gave. I, I know in the analyst say it was a very big deck. There were the things that really stood out to me is stock price, the compound annual growth versus the peers, right. which is dramatic, thirty eight percent versus twenty eight percent for the peer, and only twelve for the S and P. And then another thing that really stuck out for me: the leverage. Even though you've been growing, you had a lot of acquisitions. You obviously do not like. A bad balance sheet. No,
0: I, we are balance sheet managers, Jim. Right. And uh, we're, we, we're going to bring the debt to cap down to 37.5% with the Fidelis deal.
1: Now, Fidelis, tell us about it, because I know that it's, I, I understand that it is well run, but underneath with the way Centene operates, there are going to be some very good changes that I think will produce better health care, even better, and at a, at a cheaper
0: price. And they're really happy to be joining us, because they know the systems we have. Right. Our systems are going to help them do a better job medically managing. Their GNA is going to come up a little bit, mm-hmm. but the, M, the medical loss will come down more than the GNA is right. going to go up. And, and it's just a great combination, great people. It makes us number one in New York. It puts us as the largest player in the four largest Medicaid states. So they do all our products, they yeah. do it well. Father Frawley's been a great executive. He has a great team working for him. It's, we're really excited about it.
1: And we, just in the paper today, in the Wall Street Journal, Medicaid, the states are warming up to even spend more money. This place is right in your hand, right? Right. Now, uh, another thing that you did in the deck, and I think it's really important, you broke form and you decided to talk about the scope of the opioid problem. Yes. Last time you were here, we talked about what you did with the community. I want to hand the mic to you to talk about where we are with this opioid problem, which is a national scourge, and what you're doing about it. Okay.
0: We have algorithms. We have, we're very system driven. We're really becoming a tech company that does healthcare. Okay. Okay. We have systems that our medical director, chief medical officer talked about. We have systems that identify individuals at risk and early addiction. At risk? Yes, and early addiction. We can look at different all the different factors. They then get in, they get interdictive, they get involved with that individual, get them the help they need, we believe we've cut it down more than 20% in the last 12 months amongst now, our population.
1: That's, that's part it, extraordinary because this is, you know, everyone tells me in the mental health field that, that nobody's able to do anything. You obviously are proving that something can be done. Yes. Now, I, one of the things that I, that you, you talked about in your analyst day was you're being positioned for the future. Consumer-centric programs that promote Personal responsibility we do not have a lot of personal responsibility in the country how can you how can you promote that
0: well we you know we're very decentralized you know we have individual health players you won't find a sentient health anywhere they're engaged with the community they're engaged with the people we're doing all the things that the people need to hear when we see there's an issue we were out there helping individuals we showed them a film today how we helped a woman who had lost her her employment get a new job okay so what you do is you 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 get involved. It's more than that. I can show you a case in uh, El Paso. There was a mother who went into preterm labor at 22 weeks, had, with triplets, had three kids running around. Heat turned off, lights off, nurse went out, happened to see it, lights on, heat on, Daycare care workers take care of two kids, bed rest for the woman, medications, full term, three healthy boys, University of Texas, future football player.
1: Great story. Let's leave it at that. I like that. It's Michael Nider. He's chairman and CEO of Centene Corp. CNC. I know you think you might have missed it. I'm telling you, you are wrong. We have money's back after the break. It is time. It's, <laughs> it's over to the lighting room. It's time for the lighting room. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, skate? That is over the lighting round, great my Let's start with Karen in Nevada. Karen. Hi, Jim. Silly girl gone west. Love those eagles. Go, birds. Woo! Jim, my stock is selling. It's
0: down quite a bit since I first bought it. Is it a hold, buy, or sell?
1: Yeah, it's just a weak hold right now. I'd rather own a a, a Super Bowl uh, ring, to be frankly, from uh, the Eagles than that one. I just don't think that that company has any momentum and any new drugs that I really am excited about. Let's go to Casey in Texas. Casey! Booyah, Kramer, what's up? Well, I don't know, man. You tell me.
2: Hey, you know, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to answer my question. It's about the stock of Octa, ticker symbol OKTA. Oh,
1: man, subscription economy stock, Octa, and it's definitely going higher. We like that one. It is incredibly expensive. Talking with Ben Stoner today, my our research director in the show. And we both say, what are we going to do? Do we just recommend the stock? We're going to have some more on Octa very soon. I need to speak to Tom in Virginia. Tom.
2: Booyah, Dr. Kramer. We
0: Tom are. from Virginia.
1: How are you tonight, sir? I am good. How are you? I'm fine.
2: I'm fine. Hey, listen, I have a monster dividend stock for you tonight. Gas Log Partners,
0: ticker oh, I symbol Oh I mean, You know what? I think that stock's
1: going to get hit off of the China, ta- you know, China's saying, listen, we're going to uh, crack down on the U.S. in terms of oil and gas. I think they may actually be hurt by that. And uh, so I'm going to be a little more circumspect right here. Let's go to Art in Florida. Art.
0: Hey, Jim. Booyah. From Booyah. South Florida. How Booyah. are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Hey, wanted to know about Tandem Diabetes. They have a new product that's an artificial pancreas with automated insulin and with the... uh, This is one of the hottest uh, stocks I've ever seen. It's up
1: like 700%. Uh, I feel like I've missed it. I am not the call. I've got to be careful to recommend a stock after this kind of run, so I'm going to pass. I need to go to Joe in Louisiana. Joe! Booyah and who dad, Professor Kramer? Oh, uh, who dad. You know, I was thinking about the fact that I, I just don't think Kamara can repeat. I really don't. That's my own. <laughs> What's up? He's getting stronger. I've got a stock that
0: reported a strong first quarter, still went down about 15% in April. It has a 5% dividend. And it. I just
1: want to know if it's a buy, sell or hold Altria. No, I think it is not a buy. I don't even know if I want to hold it here because there are technical challenges now that hurt PM that eventually could hurt uh, Altria, and I'm not recommending any tobacco stocks. It's just too late in the game for me. I've seen too much. I had too many people dying. I'm not going there anymore. Sometimes I don't play for dinner on the show. I can take a stance like that because it's just there's just been too much, too much bad that I've seen in my life. Let's go to Sarah Bajit in California. Sarah Bajit. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good. How
0: about you? Good, good, great. Love your show. Love your insights. Keep up the good work. I just wanted your thoughts on Exxon, uh, Exxon technology.
1: Oh, for a second, I said I thought you were saying Exxon, which I was going to say is okay after oil going up. But actually, not this one. This thing was just, I, there was some crazy move this week. I don't want any parts of it. I think that we got we got major, fabulous pharmaceutical companies that are doing amazing. We do not need to go all the way down there. I would be concerned. One more. Let's go to L- L- Lavender in Alabama. Lavender.
2: Hey, Jim. How you doing? Uh, I am real good. I'm a long-time investor. Uh, uh, what about this company named Lowe's? Look, uh, we got a Craigman
1: at Home Depot working 24-7 for you to make a lot of money. Lowe's just got a new CEO. That's not enough for me. I would buy Home Depot and give you two, for I still think Costco is the right stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the lightning round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Jack. Jack? Which stocks can go pot? I'm sorry, that was too far for me. That's okay. And everyone's like, ooh, excuse me, Mr. Kramer, could I bother you for a picture? I'm like, are you kidding? You want a picture with this loser?
0: And a World Series champion, Houston Astros, Justin Verlander,
1: Kate Upton, booyah. Well, there you go. That's a complete roster. How about who's on second? After getting blasted on Twitter all weekend, except for my data place, Before we cut to the commercials, are the big banks department stores and the financial technology companies the equivalent of FANG out to destroy them? I spent hours this week analyzing the failure of the bank stocks to mount any sort of rally in the face of the Fed blessing four rate hikes instead of three. It's a total conundrum because if we'd known that there'd be four rate hikes even a couple of quarters ago, the bank stocks would have caught fire. So what's really happening here? All right, let me give you the conventional wisdom first. The experts tell us that the yield curve is so flat that banks don't make enough money lending as we would have thought they would at this point in the cycle. I wouldn't mind this analysis, except lending rates aren't as consistently priced off the 10-year Treasury as they might have been. There's more vig there than people realize. I'm not buying that example. I'm not buying that answer. Okay, then, second, mortgage loans have tailed off because of the rise in rates. All right, a a possibility. But a bank like Citigroup, which is the worst performer of the majors, doesn't really have a lot of mortgage business as a percentage of the whole enterprise. So that makes me uh, look askance at that theory. Third, we're waiting for the stress test results before the traditional third quarter romp. I've been keying off this theory as a reason to hang on to the banks for my charitable trust, which uh, and for the, the trust owns Citigroup, it owns Shaping Morgan, it owns Goldman Sachs. And I expect all three of these to be huge beneficiaries after the C-card results come out at the end of the month. Plus, as I see it, the net interest margins, what the banks make off of your deposits, are huge here. And CDs really haven't kept up with the short rates at all. That's risk-free money, the best kind. And the group is incredibly cheap, whether we're talking about book value or price earnings multiples. Yet the stocks can't yet get traction. I've told you the conventional wisdom. But what else could be holding the banks back? As I rack my brain, I come up with one plausible and, yes, existential answer. There are plenty of younger portfolio managers who think the banks are like Sears and JCPenney. They're old-line brick-and-mortar stores that are about to lose their relevance thanks to all sorts of new technologies from Bitcoin, Blockchain, PayPal, Square. Meanwhile, SoFi is taking millennials right out of college and turning them into 360-degree clients. And of course, the big-cap growth stocks in the financial sector aren't banks at all. They're FinTechs, their MasterCard, Visa, and American Express. Now, I've always seen these stocks as places money managers go to hide when they, they need to have some financial exposure it's After all, it's the second largest sector in the S&P. I don't son them, but these managers don't actually want to own the bank stocks anymore. The others, though. Well, they're about obviating the banks altogether, and that may be a real part of the problem. My favorite is PayPal, not only because it's the mobile bank, but because it's also the millennial social bank, courtesy of its emoji-filled demo cash-sharing division. We often call PayPal a payment processing plate, but it's almost really an online banking company that cooperates with everyone and has gone global with a terrific platform. In a way, they're the Amazon of banking, people. Think about it. They don't need to pay for brick-and-mortar branches, and it's the international bank to the unbanked. A huge group of roughly 2 billion people lack banking access right now, but they do have cell phones, which is all they need to bank with PayPal. At one point years ago, Citi seemed to be really taking on the mantle of the tech company, but it's pulled back. It's no longer that kind of thing. Uh, bank of America has the best online division, but it pales in comparison to PayPal. Square is an ingenious small business lender and has come on strong as a tech leader, but it's definitely expensive as an embedder of small business growth at this point. Then there are the potentially existential threats that I just mentioned. Blockchain, which some people believe could possibly end the bank's hegemony over stock clearing and cryptocurrencies, which are the populist insurgents of the blockchain movement. I'm not saying this is the right way to look at banks, but it's certainly how younger portfolio managers view the group. And they are winning right now, judging from where the group is trading. As I see it, they are the true reasons for the group's underperformance. And until the banks regain some visible earnings momentum, their stocks will not be able to get their groove back, despite the additional hype that might be coming our way. Stick with Kramer. of gave us a tough tariff response this very evening. Let's see how it all shakes out on Monday morning. Right now, eh, maybe we rebound a little too much in the afternoon. Like I said, there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'd find it just for you. Right here on Mad Money, I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday.
2: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe.